But, you know, in John chapter 10, it talks about how Yeshua celebrated Hanukkah by telling everybody that he was not, not only that he was the Messiah, but that he and the Father were one. And that's in John chapter 10. You can read that for your homework. But it's the festival of lights. And Yeshua said he's the light of the world. Not that he was the light of the world. is the light of the world. And since we just celebrated the nativity, since we just celebrated Christmas, that light comes into the world in a physical way. And we have to remember, like we've said before, when it was Advent and people were waiting for all those centuries for Messiah to be born, and we commemorate that, we're not just waiting because a great teacher is going to be born, a great philosopher is going to be born, you know, somebody equal to Buddha and Muhammad and Krishna is going to be born. No, this is the God-man who's born. This is the God-man who comes out of eternity and comes into space and time. God is outside of time. That's why in that song you saw his name, Yahweh, I am that I am. I am who am. He is always in the present tense. He's outside of time. From God's point of view, we're right next to Abraham and we're right next to the cross and the end is right over here and all these people, you know, they're right over here. He sees the end from the beginning because he sees everything at one time. And so the eternal God, by taking on flesh, real human flesh, descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and King David and Mary, he, the God-man is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and she gives birth not just to somebody who's going to be a really good man, not just somebody who's going to really be smart and really be awesome and going to impress everybody. She gives birth to the Messiah. She gives birth to the God-man, without whom there's no salvation. Without whom there's no salvation. There would be zero people in heaven today if he had not come. Now, we celebrate his birth, yes, but he can't do his sacrifice. He can't do the, uh, the bloody atonement on the cross if he's not born. He has to come into the world. And the cool thing is, and something to keep in mind, that he comes into the world with all the human feelings and senses and everything that we have. A real body. He comes, the words made flesh and dwells among us, like we learned at Sukkot. He comes and pitches his tent next to ours. He lives with us. And so he's the light of the world because without him, the world is very dark. And I know it's all through Advent. We did a lot of stuff from Isaiah. And if you've been listening to the radio shows and the YouTubes and the podcasts, it's all been mostly about Isaiah. But in Isaiah 9, too. I love this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So he's talking about people walking in darkness see a light. People that dwell in a land of gloom in the shadow of death are going to see a light. In fact, the light's going to shine on them. Now, why were they in the dark? Why were they in the gloom? 
Why are people today in the dark and in the gloom? Because they've turned away. They've turned away from God, from his laws. They've turned away even from his love. They've turned away from his revelations. They've turned away from everything that he wants to give us to say, hey, we don't need that kind of stuff anymore. You know, maybe our distant ancestors needed that kind of stuff. But, you know, we're we're hip now. We're cool. We've evolved. We'll decide who's a boy and who's a girl. And we'll decide who's going to be born and who's not going to be born. And we'll decide who's going to get married, who's not going to get married. We'll decide that. Thank you very much. We're independent. We don't want to be under somebody's rule. So they've turned away. There's been rebellion. Now, when you're in rebellion against God's law and the light of Yeshua hasn't shined on you, what kind of situation are you in? You're in the shadow of death. You may be living a great life. And you may be in excellent health. And you may be able to run a marathon. And you may have a nice low cholesterol. And you may just, you know, eat vegetables and fruits. and But you're living in a shadow of death. Because you're in a land of darkness. You're in a land of gloom. Because you're trying to be your own light. And you're living in the shadow of death. But this is where the light, capital L, shows himself. Capital H. He shows himself in the gloom. Isaiah wrote that he shines into the darkness. He shines into the shadow of death. Because that's where you are when you get to know him. That's where you are when that light shines on you. Right? You're living in that gloom. You're living in that shadow of death. But he shows himself there as the light, as the light that came into the world. So salvation comes in to a place where two minutes ago was just darkness. And we can all talk about how we met Jesus and what was going on and how we were living our lives. And, you know, I love hearing people's testimonies. Because, you know, the, the center part of the testimony is, I was like this, and then this happened, and now I'm like this. Right? That's the testimony. I didn't realize what a mess I was. I thought I was doing pretty well. I thought things were going great. I thought I, you know, had a nice job, and I had a nice house, and I had a nice family, and I got to go on great vacations, and I did, you know, all the stuff, cut the grass, you know, hey, I, life is good. But you're living in darkness until he comes into that darkness. So salvation comes in where the darkness is. We can't put all the scriptures up, but if you read down from there, it says, then there's great joy when this light comes. Because then you realize what what you were like, how you had been living. How many people say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody. I go to work every day. I take care of my kids. I don't cheat anybody. You have no idea how what you look like standing before the judgment seat. But here, 
when you find when the light comes and hits you, there's great joy. Because then you say, wow, I felt like a hundred pound stone got lifted off my head and my shoulders. I had never felt like that in my life. And I was a pretty happy person at the time. I wasn't living in the gutter. I wasn't some degenerate. But when his light shone on me, I felt like this big rock got taken off the top of my head. And it felt terrific. And so Isaiah points out great joy comes from this. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. What do they do? They're so happy that they rejoice before God. Say, wow, Lord, I... I, Thank you for doing it. I, I can't even believe this. I can't believe you did this for me. I'm so unworthy. I'm so disgusting. I'm so dirty. I'm so whatever adjectives you want to use. You get this joy that this is done for you. Not that you were so awesome that the light had to shine on you. God doesn't say, oh, you know, Joe down there, he's just so awesome. I'm just going to shine all that light on him. No, because he's a disaster. I'm a disaster. You guys are all a disaster. And the light shines on you anyway. And as a result, he says, they rejoice before you, capital Y, of course, which means God. As I'm sure we all did. And we still do. We do it here on Friday night. We do it in our churches on Sunday morning or Saturday morning or whenever you you worship, we're always rejoicing before the Lord. And when people say, well, what are you so happy about? You can say, you really want to know? People say, yeah, but, you know, you don't have a very nice car. You don't have a very good job. You know, you're, I mean, you don't look, doesn't look that great. Yeah, but I'll tell you what I do have. So the joy is multiplied, and it's like the joy of the harvest, You know, we don't think that way because we're we're not farmers. We're not an agricultural society, at least here. When you have an agricultural society like they would have been at the time, everything depends on how good is the harvest. If you've got a pretty skimpy harvest that you're going to barely make it through the winter and make it into the spring, and then you still got the summer to go before you harvest again, it's pretty bad. You know, in our terms, it would be like, I lost my job. I have this much money. How long can I live on this? Right? But when you have a great harvest and you're an agricultural society, you say, wow, look at all the stuff. Look at all the food. We can preserve most of this. We can eat this. We got enough food till the next harvest. And so you have joy from that. And Isaiah said, that's how you feel. When this light shines into your life, it's like, wow, now you're given all this provision. You're given all this blessing. You're given all this grace. It's even better than harvesting corn. It's even better than harvesting green beans. Oh, come on, where's Jordan? That's what you know, the joy is so great that it's like the joy of a big harvest. Or it's like how when men divide the spoil. You know, when an army went in and conquered a place, they took all the stuff. They said, hey, wow, look at this. You get the, you take this, I'll take this, you take that, you take the other thing. 
stuff that isn't theirs, that they don't deserve to take. I mean, this has kind of a bad connotation to it. You know, it's like a burglar coming into your house saying, oh, boy, look at all this stuff. But now what Isaiah's point is, is you're getting stuff that isn't yours. You're getting grace that you didn't earn. You're getting blessing that you didn't earn. You're getting forgiveness that you didn't earn. And it's just like getting all the stuff at the harvest, all the stuff when you divide up the spoils. And so they're rejoicing before him. That's pretty good news. That's pretty good news. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. You've broken the yoke. What's the yoke? Well, it's this big wooden thing that sits across a couple of animals, you know, on their neck. It's big. They can't move around. The harnesses or whatever they're called are hooked up to it. The guys behind the plow got the yoke on the oxen. He's hooked to the plow and he's steering them. The animals can't get away, even though they're big, bigger than the farmer. They're yoked in. He's broken the yoke. What's the yoke that's on us? Sin. Sin dominates our lives. It's dominated the life of every human being because of Adam and Eve, but it's called the sin of Adam. You know, that woman that God put there, she made him do it. Isn't that one of the lamest excuses you ever heard? It was almost as bad as Aaron. You know, we put all the stuff in the fire and this golden calf came out. <laughs> so he, the yoke that's on you is broken. Like when I felt the 100-pound boulder taken off of my head. The yoke is broken. The staff, you know, the farmers hitting the animals to go. In days of slavery, there were slave masters that hit the guys when they weren't working. That's smashed by the light. Smashed. Who's the taskmaster? Satan. And all his minions. Every little pipsqueak demon can have us for breakfast. And they're always trying to whip you with their little staff. Come on, man. What are you going to what are you going to a prayer meeting for on Friday night? What are you going to a Bible study for on Tuesday? What's the matter with you? You're so boring. Why don't you go out and have some fun like your friends? Why don't you do something? Make some more money. Have some more fun. Well, he breaks that. So Isaiah, 700 years before Yeshua is even born, says he's going to break the yoke, break the taskmaster, break the rod going to break the power of sin over us. So great joy comes from this. And so we rejoice before him. You know, this is pointing to the gospel. This isn't pointing to more law. This isn't pointing to, well, maybe next year I'll do better with this law. Or maybe if we, maybe if he could just take away maybe a couple hundred of these laws, I'd be in a lot better shape if we whittle it down from 613 to 302. I'll do a lot better. 
No, this is pointing to grace. This is being broken. You're not breaking the yoke. You're not breaking the whip. You're not breaking the rod. He's breaking it. The light that comes into the situation is breaking it. And it brings joy and abundant light. Because where all these things are, the yoke, the whip, the staff, the rod, where all that stuff that's there, different translations say different things. The gospel is the only remedy. You can't fix your problem. You can say a lot of prayers. You can go to church every day. Light a candle every 15 minutes. That's not going to fix your problem. You need the light to shine on you. The gospel is the only remedy to break those things. So you go from the darkness of sin to light. And when you do, you realize you are living in darkness. You say, I can't believe it. I thought everything was good. I always use the example, if you've heard this, well, it's too bad because I'm old now, so I can repeat myself. But, you know, I always think about if you went to Beverly Hills and you went to one of those beautiful shopping areas and you saw all these beautiful people with, you know, $1,000 suits on and beautiful sports cars and a big mansion and you said, you're living in darkness, they would say to you, dude, what are you talking about? The sun's out. I got this mansion. I got this car. I got all these clothes. You look like a mess. I got all this stuff. What do you mean? Well, they're living in darkness, and they don't know it. You ever watch some of those videos that are going around with the entertainers and Hollywood people that just mock God and say all kinds of blasphemous things about Jesus? And it's just, it's heart-wrenching to even watch it. And they think there's going to be no consequence to it. They think everything's fine because they've got money and they've got stuff. So they, we realize and we rejoice in the Messiah. And it says all the nations are going to rejoice. The nations are going to rejoice. Isaiah was all about Gentiles coming into the kingdom. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, got it right away. Peter took a while. Finally got it, but took a while. All those other guys took a while to understand that we as Gentiles are now in the kingdom as well. It's not just for Israel. It's all the nations rejoice. For you have broken the yoke of this burden, the staff on the shoulder, the rod of the oppressor. Doesn't matter where you're from, you have all this stuff on you. So it isn't just for Israel. It isn't just for people living within 100 miles of here. It isn't just for people that think the way we do. It isn't just for people who live in this particular place. Think this particular. It's everybody. All the nations rejoice because they're delivered from slavery. And the nations are going to rejoice. The nations, the Gentiles, are going to rejoice in the God of Israel. I don't know if you saw it, but around Christmas time, I think a couple of days before Christmas, a whole group of Orthodox Jewish rabbis from Jerusalem published a paper that said that 
they need to, they should reconsider Jesus, who he was, what he did, and re and re-examine Christianity. And not think of it just as a bunch of people off their rockers that persecute us, and they're always trying to kill us, but to think what Christianity really is and how no other group has done more for the world than Christians have. And these rabbis said, we need to reevaluate this. Isn't that amazing? I tell you, the end is coming soon. He's coming soon. I hope it's tonight, but he's coming soon. When we see rabbis talking about Jesus, you know it's coming soon. He's coming soon. But the And one guy made the statement that Jesus did many good things. And one of them was he got the Gentiles to get rid of their idols and their false gods. And they worshiped the God of Israel. How cool is that? So there's a lot of cool stuff happening. So the gospel breaks this yoke. And we become adopted children, Romans chapter 8. We become adopted sons and daughters, Galatians 2, 3, and 4. Paul says the Spirit, capital S, comes into our spirit, and we cry out, Abba, Daddy. Not cosmic force out there somewhere, not scary God somewhere out there, Daddy. You know, isn't it cute when you see a little kid running after his father going, Daddy, Daddy, it's like really a cute thing. And Mommy, too, of course. But it's such a cute thing. So Paul says, now we can call him Daddy. We can say, Daddy, I'm having a tough day today. Daddy, you know, I I, I don't understand why this is happening. Daddy, I want to thank you for all the, you know, thanks, Daddy, for, you know, it's a whole different level of communication than is in Torah, for example. As much as I love the Torah, this is a different communication to call him daddy. And Paul says we're adopted children. We're co-heirs with Christ. Co-heir. So whatever he inherits, we inherit together. Co-heirs. He inherits everything, so we inherit everything. So we go from rebels and prisoners to a place at his table and get to sit there with daddy while we eat. How cool is that? With the bride of Christ, we get to sit with him and present it to the father as a pure and spotless bride, Ephesians 5. And like I always say, nobody goes to more churches than I do. I've never seen one that's pure and spotless. But Paul says we're going to be a pure and spotless bride because we're not the ones that are going to do it. He's doing it. Not us. It's done by the Messiah. John eight twelve. Now, this is right after the woman caught in adultery. We did this at the time of Sukkot because it happens like the day after Sukkot, but it's still Sukkot in some of the traditions. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In other words, if you're not following him, you're walking in darkness. You might be in Beverly Hills with the beautiful sunshine and all the cool stuff, but you're walking in darkness. 
we may be living over here and have a little house and a bowl of rice and a loaf of bread for dinner, but we're walking in the light. We have the light of life. So he saw the darkness around him and he spoke into it, just like at the creation, he speaks into the darkness and makes light. Just let there be light. First thing that's created is light. And he says, I'm the light of the world. Daniel 2.22 says, when Messiah comes, light's going to dwell in him. 500 years before he was born. Daniel says there'll be light dwelling in him. And of course, the prophet Simeon at the temple when Yeshua is presented says, this baby is the glory of Israel and the light to the Gentiles. Light. Gentiles are going to have their lives illuminated. They're going to come out of the temple of Zeus and they're going to hear some crazy guy like Paul preaching and they're going to say, wow, I believe it. I'm not following Zeus anymore. I'm going to do what you guys are doing. I want to be in that light, not the darkness of Zeus. So he's the light of the world, and not just for the Jews, for the whole world. And it's shining into the darkness. It's really the kind of the darkness of a dungeon, you know, when you're living an unrepentant life, and you don't even realize where you are. It's like the darkness of a dungeon. But he shines into that and changes everything. So if we follow, we have the light of life, he says in John 8. And we won't walk in darkness anymore. But we can't just look at him. We have to do something with him. We have to believe. We have to repent. We have to follow. We have to be disciples. We can't just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got saved when I was 15. Now I'm 80. Everything's cool. Well, what have you been doing all those years? Nothing. You don't have to do anything. Oh. You follow. You can't just look. It's for your eyes and your feet. Jesus never says, hey, you know what? Believe and you can just relax. Nothing else to do. He says, you got to believe or you're condemned and you got to be my disciple. You have to be disciplined. You have to learn. You have to do. So he's the light of the spiritual life. Then we know the truth. Then we're not slaves to sin anymore. We're still going to sin, of course, because we're humans. But sin's not going to master us like it did before. John 3. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Woof. John 3, probably the most awesome chapter in all the scripture, the possible exception of Romans 8. And this is the condemnation, okay? If somebody says, hey, Jesus, I don't get what you're talking about. What do you mean, condemned? This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds are evil. We don't want to see the light. We want to just live in the dark. You know, like when you turn on the light of a room and 
cockroaches scramble away. We don't want the light shining on us. You know, traditionally, not so much now, because now there's a lot of crime in broad daylight, but thieves and criminals mostly work in the dark, right? They're not going to break into your house if all the lights are on and there's 18 people inside having a party. They're going to come when nobody's home. They don't want to go where the light is because their deeds are evil. So he says you're condemned already if you don't believe. You're condemned already before anything else is mentioned, before there's any other kind of judgment. Did you kill anybody? Did you commit adultery? Did you steal? Did you lie? Did you... Even before any of that, you're condemned. I gave away a billion dollars. You're condemned. I gave all kind of money to the hungers. You're condemned. I went to church a couple times. I just didn't get it. You're condemned. It's a certain thing. He says it's certain. You're condemned. There's not a question about it. You might be condemned. Well, it's possible. But, you know, maybe you should just believe and not take a chance. You know, no, you're, it's a certainty that you're condemned because they condemn themselves. You reject Jesus, you condemn yourself. Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible answer man, always says, God never drags anybody kicking and screaming into heaven. You don't want to be with him in this life? Great, he, he lets you do that. Then the next life, you're not going to be with him either. He's not going to make you be with him. So if you, why are you condemned? Because now you're subject to the law. You know, in the Hebrew, writer to the Hebrews in chapter 2 says, if we reject this great salvation, what's left? Go back to the law? Well, good luck with that. Try to do the best you can? Well, good luck with that. I'll just hope for the best and see how things go. Well, good luck with that. You're condemned because you rejected him. Oh, I'm a good person. I've never been in prison. I've never killed anybody. I rejected him. So he said, so people reject the remedy for their disease. Imagine having a raging infection that's climbing up your body. You say, nah, I don't want any antibiotics. Nah, I'm, I'm fine the way I am. I'll take care of my own self. I reject the remedy. And this is what you do. You reject the only remedy there is for sin. You reject it. You reject the cure. You'll worry night and day about your stupid cholesterol, but you won't take it all about the fact that if you died that moment, where you would be. You know, if God could give you a glimpse, even a little glimpse, that said, as you are right now, this is where you're going if you die today, boy, you'd straighten out your life quick. <laughs> Where's Jordan? <clears throat> so they condemn themselves. They reject the only way because it says they like the darkness better than the light. They're happy where they live. They don't want to change. Things are just good the way they are. I don't want light shining on stuff I'm doing. 
You may not be a horrible criminal. You're not a mass murderer. You're not some kind of degenerate, but you're still evil in many, many other ways. I don't want light shining on that. Just leave me alone. Or the, you know, the old saying about, you know, I, w- I want Jesus to come into my heart, but, you know, not my whole heart, just like a little bit of it. Because some of that stuff, I just want to keep the way it is. And I want to keep it just like this. This is my stuff. I don't want him messing around with my stuff. He's going to want me to change. Can I just go to church on Sunday and leave it at that? Can I just say a prayer once in a while and we'll call it a day? Because <clears throat> we're in love with our sickness. We love it. Remember in the Proverbs, it says, sin gives pleasure for a season. You know, while it's going on, it's fun. We're in love with our slavery. We're in love with the evil. You know, we don't want to be free from it all. We don't want the light to shine on it because the light will expose it and show us what we really are. And we're just happy like we are. I'm in condemnation. Eh, you say that. I don't know. So I used to tell people in the office, when you leave here, you may think I'm a crazy old man, but I don't care. It's not about me. I don't care what you think about me. You know, Paul says, I become all things to all people in order to save some. Paul didn't care much if people liked him, didn't like him. He's given the message. And so it's condemnation. 2 Corinthians 4, I think this is the end. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of a darkness, who has shown in our heart to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The glory of God, the light of God is in the face of Jesus. This is the birth we celebrated. Not a teacher, not a philosopher. He was those things. He didn't he never said to anybody, hey, you know, if you want to follow Buddha, that's cool. If you want to follow me, great. You know, if you don't, yeah, you know, I don't want to put any pressure on you. It's no big deal. There's plenty of other people you can, you know, plenty of other things you can do. You want to go to the temple of Zeus? Hey, that's okay. No, never. He said, I'm the only way. And Paul says, the light shines in his face. That's where the light is. He comes into the world and brings the light because he's the fullness of the Godhead. Colossians chapter 1, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him. So when you saw little, oh, there's no nativity set here. When you saw little baby Jesus laying in the manger, you saw the fullness of the Godhead. When you saw teenage Jesus learning the craft in the shop, you saw the fullness of the Godhead. When you saw adult Jesus go with those guys to Panera's and have coffee in the morning, you saw the fullness of the Godhead. Paul says that's where the light is, and that's the light that shines into the darkness. <clears throat> 